Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. Today we have a great guest. We have Tobin Shea on with us today. Tobin, how are you doing today? Doing well, thanks for asking. That's great to hear. So Tobin, today we're gonna to be talking about the economy of the dark web. And I know a lot of guests are excited to hear that because to a lot of people, the dark web is like this mysterious thing. And often people really just think of the black market, those things you see in movies, people trying to stop drug deals or human trafficking. And so I know a lot of people will be excited to just kind of understand the real truth behind it and really learning what drives it. And to start off, which is my favorite question is tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into your field and how you ended up doing what you're doing. Sure, sure. So um, my formal education, I have two degrees, a bachelor where I studied philosophy and music and a bachelor of science where I studied chemistry and biology, both of which are, are not very obviously related to uh, cybersecurity. Well, I'll totally admit that. Mostly my involvement in cybersecurity and, and computers has really been something I've had all my life, something I've been involved with all my life, you know, long, long before my formal education. And just something I've always stayed current on. I will say actually learning and studying the sciences, you know, was helpful. The statistics and, uh, you know, learning the scientific method to, to maximize, you know, the data that we're gathering. But uh, mostly my, my connection to cybersecurity extends, uh, you know, long before my formal education. And I think a lot of people end up going to fields that they did not even study for in college. So you're in good company. To lead into the real conversation today over the dark web, for the viewers who don't know, what exactly is the dark web? What is it? Yeah, great, great question. So we have the internet, right? And that's this kind of big abstract idea, the internet. You know, what's that even mean? What most people spend their time on, um, we call the clear web or the surface web. Surface web is probably the most common name. And that's essentially everything you can Google, right? Uh, you go to websites, you know, you listen to podcasts and uh, you go to the, the Apple store online. That's the clear web, everything you can, can Google. But that's only about five to six percent of the, the data that's on the 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 internet in, in total. Then we have the dark web, and sometimes they differentiate the two into the deep web and the dark web, but that's the under the covers component, and that makes up the vast majority. So the dark web or the deep web makes up about the other 95% of, of the internet, which in, in 2021 was, I think, like 75 zettabytes, which is, I think that would roughly translate to 74 or 75 trillion gigabytes. So that's, that's how big the internet is, roughly. The dark web uh, is a subsection of the deep web. People refer to the dark web as, you know, kind of the bad place, right? The black market of, of the deep web. This is a type of area that's not accessible through your normal browser. So Google Chrome, Safari, Firefox, those, those won't work to get there. You have to use a special browser called Tor, which stands for the Onion Browser. Or there's there's actually another one. It's um, I2P, but very small use case. Tor is Tor is certainly the the dominant browser to access the dark web. And essentially, Tor browser bounces your traffic around multiple computers that are also on the network, more or less anonymizes uh, the user. And and through the this browser, you're able to access. They're called Onion sites the Onion browser, which often host uh, things like, you know, 
dark web markets, uh, black markets, essentially on the web, hacking forums, you know, uh, other things like that. First off, I have to say, I did not realize how big the internet is. That's insane. So now we kind of understand what the dark web is. And you said you kind of find it on the tour, uh, the onion, what did you call it? The onion? Yeah. The onion browser. Yeah. Yeah. The onion browser. First off, who came up with that name and why? Uh, you know, the name, um, that's a good question, but I know the, um, the actual Tor browser was, was developed by the, the, the U S military and the, and the Pentagon. I think it was actually the Navy. Um, but they were using it as a mostly anonymous way to, you know, communicate over the digital space. And it's, it's since become, you know, obviously far expanded past, past the, the military use and become kind of a, you know, colloquial, widely accepted thing. And I, and I should correct myself. It was the onion router actually, although it is a browser T O R the onion router, but it is a browser that we use. And so you said it started by the U S government in the Pentagon. Is that kind of why it's still up and running? It seems like a lot of illegal things happen on it. Sure. Sure. So it's, it's now it's open source. Um, so, you know, now, now any, any program with know-how is, is able to interact with it, but it's, it's, it's it's like the normal internet, right? It's as long as there are nodes on it or computers of, of some type on it, then it's up and alive. So even if the government, you know, totally backed off, never touched it again, now there's people that are on it. So it, it will live as long as, as people are on it. That being said, the government very much is still on it. They're very active on it and kind of kicking themselves for, for creating this. Uh, but yeah, NSA is, has taken a lot of speculated steps to try to actually regain control, um, more or less, by controlling certain key nodes and, and having so many computers on it that they're able to actually statistically recreate you know, how the data is being bounced around so they can actually identify users. There's argument about how well that worked and and if they even did it but yeah they gave themselves one giant headache in the end exactly and to be honest even if the government hadn't done it the the idea is is relatively simple and someone would have come up with it anyways so i guess the government just made it happen a little bit sooner some of the greatest entrepreneurs are those are criminals in all honesty i think if <laughs> certainly and it's good Oh, oh, I was just going to say, it's it's incredible, the entrepreneurship and the, the ingenuity uh, that you see on the dark web. It's it's, uh, it's bad because they're putting this towards, you know, illicit use cases, but it's impressive nonetheless. Even though it's we don't support this and we don't like it, it's impressive how much ingenuity goes into all these illegal things. I think it was the cartel that kept getting stopped by the Coast Guard and they ended up home making some submarines to get cocaine or something across to the other side. And so, but when there's money to be made, people will find a way. And actually, speaking of money, let's get down to kind of, first off, what is sold on the dark web? In a sense, if you can imagine it, it's, it's, it's on the dark web, really. And that can, be, that can be anything from prescription drugs, illegal drugs, social security numbers, credit cards. Interestingly, there's a lot of... Um, hacker commerce on there. So inside data on a company, you know, let's say, I don't know, hacker A wants to hack this company, but they don't know, you know, a certain component or they, they, they don't know something about that company that's preventing them from hacking them. Well, hacker B knows this component and they're not interested in 
attacking that company, but they will sell their knowledge about that company on the dark web. Or Hacker B might have already broken into their database. They don't really care about that info, but Hacker A wants it, so they might just sell them that info. So a lot of you know cybercrime related information uh, rather than like hard product, it's, it's information. But then of course there's, there's, there's drugs, weapons, services, illegal services as, as, a, as a big, again, if, if you can imagine it, it's, it's probably there somewhere. That terrifies me a little bit because I can imagine a lot of things and I don't want to. Yes, yeah, it, it, it's pretty astounding what's, what's available there. And some of the services are, are wild too, you know, they, everyone talks about, you know, the hitman service and I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know too much about that. In fact, the funny thing is a lot of the services and goods, they're actually government posts. So, you know, I don't know, Interpol or even US based companies or law enforcement rather will put up hire hitman here and it's fake, right? So someone clicks on it, says, oh yeah, I want to hire hitman. They tell them, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, John Smith and I want to kill my wife, my coworker, whatever. And then they say, all right, joke's on you, FBI, we're, we're coming to arrest you. So it's funny. A lot of it's actually fake, <laughs> placed by, by law enforcement, but um, also a lot of it's very real. That is, um, what was that? To catch a predator. It's like one to catch a predator where they think they're going to meet the person they were talking to on Facebook or Instagram. And they end up meeting someone very different. Sure, I I, I know the sh I know the the show. Haven't watched it yet, but I'm excited to do so. I want to back up. You talked about credit card information. How are people's credit cards ending up on the dark web? Sure. So there's there's various methods. Numerically, the the I mean I mean it can be as little as this, and it's it's kind of concerning, considering how easy this is. A large, well, not a, not a large, but a source for credit cards used to be like waiters and waitresses. You'd hand them your card to pay for dinner. They would take your card, take a picture of it, then sell it to someone who would then either use it themselves or put it up on the dark web. So there's a lot of kind of low-tech methods that are putting cards up on the dark web, but numerically, that's, that's, that's a small-scale operation. Uh, a lot of the cards are coming from data breaches. You know, remember, I think it was Target, uh, what, two years ago or so, they got hacked and what several million cards got put up on the dark web so things like that storefronts get hacked banks that's more rare usually it's a storefront or a you know credit card processing company or something like that but they get hacked and then those cards get put up on the dark web that's where most of the cards come from a data breach that's kind of concerning i'm not gonna lie especially especially because data breach prevalence is increased i think uh, in the last year, 2020 to 2021, I think it increased by like 68%. And then since 2015, it's been d doubling, you know, in, in prevalency. So data breaches are a major problem that is continuing to grow right now, which is putting your data at risk. It's amazing that we haven't been able to secure credit cards a little bit more. So they're not just so, oh, we have the number and that's all we need, really. Sure. And, you know, again... A lot of it comes down to how sophisticated the cyber criminals are. So two-factor or multi-factor authentication has become pretty popular these days. Maybe when you log into your bank, they'll text you a number and they'll say, you know, here's your password. What number did we just text you? Then you enter, you know, the six digits and then you can log in. Or maybe they might have you do a fingerprint along with the password or something like that. But cyber criminals are step ahead there is already software solutions to defeat two-factor authentication in many cases but more so there's uh, incredible social engineering 
techniques that have been developed. And, and one thing, your credit card is up for sale on the dark web. There's a good chance so is your email address. So now they're able to complete that two-factor authentication because they have your credit card. They also have your email. So when you know your bank or the store or whatever sends you an email and says, we just sent you an email. Can you please verify this purchase or this login? Well, they can't because they have your email too. So we've been trying to improve card security on oh, EMV chips, the chip cards instead of the sliding. That was aimed at you know trying to increase card security, and it's not it's not really working. <laughs> uh, you know, long story short. Well, that's reassuring to hear. I bet. Yeah, I mean, consider it this way. Like you said earlier, there's incredible innovators in the criminal world, and as we innovate in the you know in the the, the good, you know, the good guys, as the good guys innovate, so so do the bad guys. We come up with a new security method and they say, okay, we'll figure out a new way around it. And they do. And they're not hampered down by laws and regulations, companies, corporate bureaucracy. A lot of times it's a, a lone hacker or maybe a group of hackers and friends. And they can experiment as they wish, not paying attention to regulation, corporate bureaucracy. So a lot of ways they're able to innovate faster than us. So MindWise, for example, our company, we are, of course, offering, you know, tools for prevention. We want to make sure, you know, databases don't get hacked in the first place. And that's what most cybersecurity companies focus on, prevention. Let's secure your data. Let's secure these credit cards. But for us at MindWise, we've, we've just swallowed the pill. There's no such thing as foolproof cybersecurity. Again, as we innovate, the bad guys are going to, too. So a lot of our services and, and solutions focus on not just raw prevention, but identifying the breach as quickly as possible so we can mitigate it, you know, flawlessly. Because again, a, a truly preventative solution is, is that's probably make-believe, you know, again, the criminals are going to continue innovating. So we're really focused on making sure and accepting that, hey, if they really, really, really want to, they can get in here. Let's make sure that when they do, we identify it as quickly as possible and solve that problem. So it's kind of a new up and coming yeah, approach to cybersecurity fraud prevention. Honestly, anything that can help prevent the headaches of having to replace all of your information, your emails and credit cards, probably the better, not gonna lie. That's, that's what we think too. But I have to ask, so people are buying and selling this information, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm gonna assume that they are just people aren't just buying this information with their debit or credit cards that their banks give them because how's a bank going to react when they see you're putting charges on your credit card on the dark web or something and sure also if you're buying someone else's credit card information and you're using your credit card information I can't imagine that'll end well. So how are they paying for this? What is... So there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of methods. Probably the most common is going to be a cryptocurrency transaction. Bitcoin is very popular because Bitcoin is popular, but um, really up and coming are other currencies like Monero, Zcash, and Dash, digital cash. Monero, Zcash, Dash, they really focus on anonymity. So Bitcoin... Bitcoin, you, you can conceal your um, identity pretty thoroughly if you know what you're doing. But if you just log on to Coinbase, Binance, you know, or a standard, you know, whatever currency exchange or hot wallet and buy some cryptocurrency, if you buy some Bitcoin, let's say $100 in Bitcoin, then you log on to the dark web and you buy $100 in compromised cards. Yeah, they're going to catch you. That's pretty easy to track, right? Blockchain. They log every transaction. These other currencies, Monero, 
and, and, and whatnot are these privacy coins a lot harder, a lot more challenging through, through different, uh, you know, mechanisms to at concealing your identity. So those are very up and coming on the dark web, although Bitcoin is, is still pretty big. For bigger transactions, you can even do things like Hydra uh, was a market that was taken down earlier this year. They were pretty famous for their money laundering and, and money exchange services. So you could actually launder your Bitcoin or, and do this vice versa. Let's say you had a million in Bitcoin, you'd give it to them and they would take a cut off the top, but then they would give you GPS coordinates. You would go there and dig up a duffel sack full of cash. Alternatively, you could leave a duffel sack full of cash somewhere and purchase totally anonymous crypto or, or some sort of service. And then the last and most I think kind of most clever method for, for purchases on the dark web is straight up streamlined money laundering. You want to buy a, a credit card. Of course, you don't swipe your debit card on, you know, dark webs, credit cards are us, you know, you actually, it'll send you to a, an online store, like a Shopify store. It might be electronics, car parts, something, something made up and you'll buy an item of a similar price or, or the exact same price to the card that's for sale. They'll see that, okay, Tobin just swiped his card and bought a capacitor pack or an Arduino or, you know, whatever electronic, and then they'll, they'll clear your transaction and send you. Uh, so it's easy for them because it's straight laundered money. It's already clean. Uh, and it's easy for you because you actually can use your debit card. That's not super prevalent, but it does exist. That's insane how, how easy it is for these transactions to be done. And it's also insane how elaborate they can be as like the Hydra one, giving a GPS coordinate to go to and dig up whatever you bought or needed and then just be able to walk away. That's kind of terrifying. It is. And, you know, people kind of imagine the dark web, you know, when we see in movies, coders or the matrix, and it's just lines of code flowing and it's raw no, it's not. It's actually very streamlined. When you're on the dark web, it's like a storefront. You're browsing credit cards and socials. It's it's very, it's a very, you know, I'm using scare quotes here, pleasant process that is so streamlined because the economy is huge. Uh, so they, they need very stable storefronts to, to manage, you know, large amounts of transactions. And actually, you said you spoke of the economy. How big is the dark web economy? It's from the sound of it and everything happening on it, it sounds pretty major. Yeah, uh, it absolutely is. So I think the the dark economy, not just the dark web, but like the criminal economy worldwide is, oh, it's, it's, it's enormous. It's some like 19 or $20 trillion. And it comes out to a quite large percent of just the global economy. Then of that on the dark web, there's companies like Chain Chainalysis, I think it's called. They specialize in analyzing like block, blockchain transactions. So essentially they specialize in, in tracing Bitcoin. They've estimated the dark web economy was just under $1.5 billion per year. I personally think that's an enormous underestimate. For one, like I said, a lot of these transactions are being done with things like uh, Monero, Zcash, Dash that aren't very easily tracked. So even though chain analysis has some really impressive tools out there, the whole point of the dark web is to hide transactions. So I think, I think the notion that we could accurately judge the size of the dark web is, is, is or, or the activity of the dark web rather is, is, is false. So I suspect 
much bigger than $1.5 billion, maybe 10 times as much, to be honest. Uh, that's, that's really me. And that's gross speculation. I don't have much statistics other than, gosh, you look at this and you know there's almost 100 million credit cards, just credit and debit cards alone being sold on the dark web every year. How could it not be a lot of money, right? And then that's not even socials and internet and social media accounts and you know, corporate information. I don't know. I suspect it's huge. And I suspect chain analysis has only identified a portion of, of the transactions that are really going on on the dark web. I have to agree with you. From everything you've explained, the whole point of dark web is, like you said, to keep people hidden and to hide things on it. And if we could find out and really estimate how much is really going on there, it really wouldn't be doing its job right. <laughs> exactly. Spot on. Exactly. Following the topic of like the currency on the dark web and all the cryptocurrency being used, on the last few episodes, crypto has come up at least once in every episode. And as a cybersecurity person, we're seeing all this media given to crypto, people investing into it. As someone from the cybersecurity industry, how do you feel about cryptocurrency now that you know that it's being used on places like the dark web? Sure. So I take somewhat unique stand. Well, actually not that unique. A lot of a lot of, you know, techie computer people kind of share this idea. But I put a lot of value and and freedom and and freedom you know, as you know, an American citizen, but also freedom as a internet, a digital citizen. Uh, that's a big thing that a lot of people are very passionate about on, on the web, you know, digital freedom. And on one hand, yeah, it would be very easy to stop crime if, you know, the only way to, if you had to swipe your credit card to log into, or, uh, you know, your ID to log into a computer and every website you went to, you had to swipe, swipe your ID and facial recognize this and you could only you know the only digital currency was government controlled dollars yeah on one hand that would offer more protection and it would be very easy for law enforcement to do their job um, and, and there's value in that but on the other hand it would also be safer if we all lived in big soft padded rooms and never talked to other people and had food you know so it's it's a trade-off sure it would be safer without you know a lot of these things but at the cost of all freedom. And I am comfortable with the idea of these technologies investing or existing and, and for companies like us and governments investing in the ability to, you know, enforce the law as best we can, knowing that it'll never be perfect. I think it's a trade-off that's worth it. Uh, you know, freedom as a digital citizen, knowing that some people will take advantage of it and knowing that law enforcement won't catch 100% of the criminals. I'm okay with that trade-off. And also admit that, yeah, that means cybersecurity law enforcement will, will never win 100%. But again, I think it's straight off worth making. I have to say, I think I can agree with you on your stance. And I can see where you come from, especially in a world today where people are always trying to fight for the freedoms, debate what we can do as free people. And the more free we can stay, I think the better. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not saying law enforcement should just give up, cybersecurity should just lay back and let it happen because freedom. Absolutely not. I think law enforcement and private companies like us also have an obligation to do the best we can, continue innovating however we can to cut down 
on that cybercrime. And they're doing a great job, especially when countries work together. Um, if you follow the cybersecurity news at all, there have been so many dark web market takedowns this year, including the one I mentioned earlier, Hydra, which is pretty widely accepted as the largest dark web uh, marketplace at the time. So law enforcement is not without teeth. You know, they're certainly still very capable uh, as are, you know, the private companies assisting them. And so we've kind of talked about all the illegal products going on in the dark web, people selling information, uh, selling different types of products. I'm interested in knowing, is there any good products sold on the dark web? Like anything that a everyday person might want to actually buy? Yeah, actually, that's really interesting. So I suppose it depends who you ask, how do you define good? But for instance, there might be a drug and not not necessarily a, a bad one, not not fentanyl or, you know, narcotics. For instance, antibiotics in the U.S. are prescription only, right? You have to go to your doctor, they have to write your prescription, and you have to get it at a pharmacy. In lots of countries, Mexico, Spain, several countries in Europe, Asia, certain antibiotics are over the counter. If you're sick, you can just go get them. You don't need the whole doctor, insurance, pharmacy, you know, mumbo jumbo. So you can buy antibiotics on the dark web and, you know, antidepressants over the dark web. Plenty of things that are regulated in one place that might not be regulated in others are available on the dark web. A lot of it too is, a lot of it too is, is more or less just programmer nerds on a forum in a cool place talking about cool things, you know. So there's there's plenty of chat rooms where, you know, not horribly, you know, evil things are going on. People are just chatting. There's plenty of people that are just really invested in the idea of anonymous internet browsing. So they're using this Tor browser and they might be on some dark websites and some clear websites. They're just trying to stay anonymous in the face of big data. Um, and then a lot of security companies um, and security working individuals use the dark web Think about it like this. If you're a bank and you know, you know, we're a bank, we're going to be the frequent target of cyber attack, right? We, we hold money. It might behoove the bank cybersecurity staff to get on these dark web forums and read about, hey, what's the latest, greatest stuff that hackers are doing these days? What's their technique right now? Oh, interesting. They're doing this X, Y, Z. We're not ready for that. We should probably get on that. Good thing I read the forum. So this there's a lot of education going on, either just by listening in, lurking, or or actual discussions by non-criminals going on in the dark web. Well, it's good to hear that amongst all the bad things we hear about the dark web, there are some still benefits to them and actually good products on there. Sure, yeah. Uh, with the caveat, yeah, it's criminals use it. <laughs> you know, not going to deny it, not going to sweeten it, but... To say 100% of people on the dark web are bad is, is also not true. Another favorite question of mine, what is something I really haven't asked about the dark web that you think people should know about it? Mm, sure. That's such an open-ended question. You know, I could, we could do another episode. If we, <laughs> um, That's why it's one of my favorites. It, just, yeah, it gets yeah. you thinking and really answer, ask those questions the audience might really want to hear. Sure. I guess... I guess I'll just respond and it's certainly related, not totally like a dark web stat, but I think as someone that works in a cybersecurity company, probably the thing I get asked most by family, friends at, you know, Thanksgiving dinner or whatever is, Hey, what can I do to protect myself from these cyber criminals? I'm reading about, you know, hacking and data breaches every day. 
I get asked that all the time. Or, or how can I protect my credit cards? That's something most people have a pretty vested interest in. Interest in. And really, I think the single bet, well, I guess, I guess it's twofold. One, watch out for fishers uh, and scammers. It's phishing with a PH. So phishing essentially, and I'm sure everyone's gotten one at some point, is weird emails. Hey, this is Bank of America. We have a question about your, your loan. Could you please email us your username and password so we can check on your, your, your mortgage, your loan? Or what? That's phishing. <laughs> That's someone who wants your username and password. And previously, it was pretty simple. It was usually a funky looking email that was asking for information they shouldn't be asking for. But the sophistication these days is outrageous. It's so much more than, I mean, it still is, but it can be so much more than a strange looking email. There is now calls, deep fakes. That, that's a fascinating thing. You can really go down a rabbit hole, but they're essentially a voice and video faking. People will do fake calls under a deep fake. So they could call you and it might sound like your relative and say, Hey, oh my gosh, uh, you know, Jack, I, could I uh, borrow some money? It's your aunt, you know, Help, help me out here. So deep, it's, it's, it's very scary. So if something doesn't feel right, slow down and check. It's fine. Slow down and check. Don't answer that email right away. Don't click that link. Don't wire money to your long lost aunt, you know, slow down and check and then stay vigilant. It's annoying. Check your credit card bills every once in a while, actually go through them and look for transactions that aren't yours, especially the new technique and cyber criminals these days. They don't get your credit card and go buy a car because that's very obvious They're, you're going to freeze that card. They probably won't even get to buy their car because the card's going to get freeze so quick. So instead, they take your card and they do little things. They buy a $10 Starbucks gift card, a $25 Amazon gift card, and they're buying them for themselves. So be vigilant with your account information and your you know statements and, and look for small things that are out of place. Now you've made me paranoid to go check my credit card and debit card. <laughs> yeah, usually that's what happened. Everyone around their Thanksgiving table pulls out their phone and starts looking at their statement. Statistically, I think the stat was by 40 years old, everyone's social security number will have been for sale at one point in time. So wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, 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 you know, it's a statistical extrapolation. So it doesn't really mean that it doesn't mean every single person will actually, but statistically, you know, the odds are that most people will probably have their information sold at one point once once they reach a certain age. So you, you really should be careful because it's happening. For those who can't see my face, I am both shocked, <laughs> scared, and confused. Certainly. And credit where credit's due, banks are quite decent at spotting that. You know, someone applies for a loan using your social and, and they're applying for the loan in New York when they know that you're in Texas. They're gonna stop that. So. Most of the time, people, their information gets compromised and the, they face little to no loss or the bank covers whatever happens. But it is important to know that it's happening and the bank will catch it a lot of the times or, you know, the bank, IRS, whatever. They'll catch it a lot of times, but sometimes they won't. And that's why it's important to stay vigilant as an individual. Honestly, at this point, I might have to be more vigilant and also use more than like two passwords for all my accounts. Yeah, it's always good. Identity verification and, again, vigilance is huge. That doesn't mean every single day you need to look at your credit. Once a month. And if you see something's off, cancel your card. Your bank will probably reimburse you. Um, if not, you might be out a hundred, couple hundred bucks. But 
once a month. Sit down, give it some time, make sure no new credit cards are opened in your name and, and that your credit card's still secure. Well, uh, Tobin, we're almost out of time, but I have one more question. I'm going to bet a lot of the people who listen to this episode are going to kind of want to learn more because we've only talked about the economy of the dark web, kind of the transactions, what's happening on it. But we've talked a little bit on the fraud side and cybersecurity side. And I'm going to bet people are going to want to find out more, find some more resources. Um, is there a way that they can find more resources to read on this and a place they can kind of find more information about your business and see if it can help them? Of course, yeah. So our, my first resource would be, of course, our very own website, www.mind, just like the word mindwise, W-I-S-E, dot I-O, mindwise.io. There we have our resources page. We have several articles published, uh, you know, kind of on our, on our blog and several articles uh, posted in, in, by other publishers and magazines. And you can find all that on our resources page. And I think that's a pretty great start on your you know, individual cybersecurity journey, or especially for anyone listening out there that is working in a financial company or a company working with sensitive information. We have a lot of uh, enterprise focused solutions. But I'll be honest, this is a big topic. And um, a few healthy Google searches will also point you in a, in, a, in, a, you know, in a good direction. There's a lot of info out there. And yeah, it, it's pretty easy to educate yourself on, on some good individual protection techniques. Perfect. Well, Tobin, thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom on this topic. And I know I loved it. And I hope our guests loved it, too. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak on this.